Hi guys, I'm Marie. And I'm Maddie. And we are here recording Lost in the Woods. Say hi, Delilah. Oh god, you just oh, hit her in the face with the microphone. <laughs> so um you may be listening to this episode a couple days late. We do apologize. It's my fault, like we said. It's all my fault. Really, it's because of Thanksgiving. Oh. Well, so because of Thanksgiving. It's actually one of those magical years where everybody has the day off. And I don't think that's happened to us in probably a decade. Well, I know I haven't had Thanksgiving off in three or four years. I feel like it's too close to me. Is it that close to you? Yeah. Where it feels too close. It feels like it's going to punch me in the face. Yeah. I literally... So we're still sharing a microphone because... We have all the goddamn parts except for the actual microphone. It has not arrived. And we're going to blame that on people Christmas shopping, which I have not yet started to do. Not only do we not have anything recorded for Monday, I'm trying to get Thanksgiving organized and together and prepped and all of that. And then I had to work today and Maddie had to work today. And I 100% dumped... (laughs) my five-year-old in bed with my sleeping 14-year-old, woke them both up and said, I'm going to work. I will be back soon. And then they basically had to get themselves up and to school this morning. So I'm also not winning any Mother of the Year awards. This week has been bananas, but we still want to give you guys an episode, even though it's a holiday. We still want to give you an episode, but it's probably going to be posted on Wednesday. So... Like we said, we are still sharing a microphone today, so if we have some awkward interactions or noises or you can hear us swinging the mic back and forth because... Yeah, because we grab onto this little (laughs) lever that's on the bottom that's meant for, like, pushing the microphone, like, adjusting it. It has the perfect little handle that you can just take your finger with. Except last week, because Maddie used that little tiny lever the entire time, she unscrewed the microphone. (laughs) I did, and I think it probably got cut out, I would assume, but there was a point where the microphone just, like, dangled. It just fell. Uh, Nope, I did not cut that out. Today, you guys, we are taking you to Colorado. And not only that, but we are taking you to Colorado in 2020. So this is the case of Suzanne Morphew. And if you haven't heard about that, I'm not surprised because I had not heard about this case either until one of our listeners recommended it, which was Michelle McGregor-Shaw. So thanks, Michelle. Thank you, Michelle. I've never heard this. And also coming again today, I have no idea what our case is. So let's uh, let's listen to it together. So (laughs) let's listen to it together while Maddie's telling you the story. Jesus. Okay. So there is a lot of speculation around this case, and there are some very, very strong opinions about this case. If you know Maddie and I, during our normal episode, we try to keep our opinions to ourselves Until the end, and then we kind of let you know what we think. Or what way we're leaning, right? But we are not trying to deliver stories to you guys in our perspective, but more based around the facts. I do have certain sections flagged, red. And those are sections that I'm going to come back to afterward. We are going to be visiting that at the end rather than during the story. Okay, so bear with us. Don't worry. We're going to get you the facts. We're especially going to get you our opinions on Bunker Talk, but for now, this is where we're at. Okay, Suzanne Morphew, 
who is 49 years old at the time of her disappearance. She's married to Barry Morphew, who's 52, and they've been married for 26 years. They live in Maysville, Colorado, in a $1.5 million house. They have two daughters named Mallory and Macy. Mallory's 22 and Macy is 16. Suzanne had actually recently received her all-clear cancer diagnosis. So she had been diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma twice and had beat it both times. Once was before she had children and the second time was more recent. So the family had celebrated her all-clear on October 1, 2019. Everyone who knew this family described them as a loving family. Suzanne was a very liked person. So she'd actually been told that she might not be able to have kids because of her cancer treatments in her youth and was known to live for her children. She's described as a very loving mother. She's also a very avid mountain bike rider. So she disappeared on May 10, which is Mother's Day. Which is even scarier because we go hiking every single Mother's Day. We literally go hiking every Mother's Day. She's not even kidding. <laughs> no, it's it's not a joke. I'm serious. So on Saturday, May 9th at 4 p.m., Susanna is seen in town with Barry getting sandwiches. So this would be the last time that someone besides her husband saw her. Suzanne had been in communication with one of her best friends, and this was about an upcoming wedding. This was between 2 and 9 p.m. when communication stopped abruptly. And then at midnight... Her Facebook profile befriended a bunch of men on her Facebook account. And we're going to go back to that one later. Then on Sunday, May 10th, Mother's Day, obviously, Barry leaves home around 5 a.m. and says that he didn't wake her up. Reports say that he texted Suzanne a Mother's Day greeting. And this text message goes unanswered. Yeah, and I don't think that would be super alarming to not get a response. Although I will say I am very prompt about responding to messages like that. I am not. Maybe unusual for some and maybe not for others. Her daughters are texting her because remember it's Mother's Day and her daughters are actually out of town camping in Idaho which is kind of weird for Mother's Day, but I don't know. I'm guessing they were probably camping a couple days and they were out there and just... Yeah, they were scheduled to come back on Mother's Day. They text their dad and said that they were unable to get a hold of their mom. Barry called the 70-year-old neighbor, Janine Ritter, and he contacts this neighbor when he's unable to get hold of Suzanne himself. When she walks through the house, she's unable to locate Suzanne. She gets back on the phone with the husband. There's cars in the driveway. She's not here. I can't find her. And then Barry says that she might have gone on a bike ride to so to see if her bike is missing. So the neighbor goes back over to the house and the bike is missing. Then the neighbor calls and reports her missing. The 911 call comes in just before 6 p.m. on May 10th. And we're going to come back to that as well, but we're going to continue to move on here. The sheriff's department contacts search and rescue at this point, and Barry gets home just after 6 p.m. on the 10th. I will say I was surprised that the sheriff's department got searching going immediately. So they must have had good reason to assume that Suzanne would not have just taken off at this point, right? They find her bike later that day, 
and it's on a bridge or close to a bridge near her home. It was upside down and had a dent in the fender. Now everybody's getting concerned, right? But one strange thing is that nobody actually saw her riding her bike that day. But in this neighborhood, the neighbors are spread pretty far apart, and there are a lot of vacation and rental properties in this area. So the fact that nobody saw her maybe isn't a huge deal because there's not a lot of people around. No information has been released by the sheriff's department about what she was wearing when she went missing, which is kind of strange. I feel like that usually happens pretty quickly, but it's also possible that maybe her husband or her family couldn't identify what might have been missing from her home. If I ever go missing, nobody's going to ever figure out what I'm wearing. I have way too many clothes. Nobody's going to be look at my closet and be like, I know what's missing. I know what they're wearing. I feel like nobody would be able to tell that with me either. So not super strange to me that nobody knows what she's wearing. And that's why I always take a picture of what I'm wearing if I'm going somewhere by myself. Like, here, Maddie, this is what I'm wearing. We're not having conversations about this. I hate that you go hiking by yourself. Hate it. Okay. But sometimes I go hiking by myself. And I always send Maddie a picture of what I'm wearing, the gear that I'm bringing, and what hike I'm doing just in case. Then she knows what I'm wearing because I know she wouldn't be able to figure it out from my closet. So the sheriff says that they do not believe she was taken by an animal from the very beginning. Say she had been taken from an animal from her bike, where her bike is, right? An animal's not going to drag her miles and miles away without there being blood, without there being evidence. Most of the time, especially a mountain lion, which that's what would have gotten her in this area probably if it was an animal, they wouldn't drag her so far away that they wouldn't be able to find any trace of her. They would drag her a little ways and then immediately start eating her. Okay, that makes sense. I thought that they were going to say that her bike was like sat up or something and that was going to be their... uh... Like their argument, but I was like, if I was hiking or walking and I saw a bike tipped over on the trail, I'd sit it up. I would too, but her bike wasn't even sitting up. It was upside down. Ah, well, shit, that doesn't make sense at all then. Never mind. They searched and sealed the house, and they were also seen removing evidence bags from the residence. A CSI photographer was also seen at the home. And the FBI got involved in this case, which is crazy. Some things they might have been looking for at the house because they don't know what happened, right? Like maybe she went on a bike ride. Obviously, her bike left the house at some point, but they need to make sure that she wasn't attacked in her home or something didn't happen there, right? They might also be looking for what, you know, were her pajamas there from what she slept in the night before? You know, had she gone missing that day? Was there any sign of blood? Had anybody cleaned anything up in the house? Things like that. Also checking for if she had shoes missing, which we've never gotten any information if they discovered any missing clothing from her house. Because if she's an avid bike rider, mountain bikes, she's probably wearing expensive gear for this. I would think that if she had expensive gear that she wore on a regular basis, they would be able to identify if it was missing. Okay, May 11, the sheriff's department enlists the help of the county TAC team, along with searchers from the Department of Corrections. So are they bringing criminals out there or correction officers? I would guess correction officers. But remember, in the, uh, and I know this was an older case, the Dennis Martin Smoky Mountain, didn't they bring in prisoners to help search in that case? The TAC team is basically a team that responds to critical incidents 
in high-risk operations. So they're there to support law enforcement in a more tactical way. So it kind of makes sense. They've got somebody missing. They're trying to organize all these different things that they would involve this team. Okay, so divers from the neighboring county were seen scouring a reservoir less than a mile from the house. Also, tracker dogs were brought in and they weren't able to track her scent at all. Naturally, police are going to want to know where Barry's at during this time frame. He's not home when she's reported missing. Nobody knows where he's at. So initial reports say that he was away in Denver on a training course for his job as a volunteer firefighter because he's actually a construction guy. He does big construction projects, but he's also a volunteer firefighter in, I think, Denver, Colorado. And this is about 150 miles away in Broomsfield. So that's about a three-hour drive. However, we do find out later that he's actually working on a retaining wall repair, or he's there to set up the work for a retaining wall repair. Police did impound his car and take his cell phone, although the police didn't confirm this. Right. So it's reported that his cell phone and car were impounded. However, the police department has been very tight-lipped about confirming anything in this case. And obviously, they want to protect any future investigation or trial or anything like that. So that makes sense. But it does get kind of frustrating in this case. Barry had been out searching for her with the help of some of his friends, including the fire department. It seemed that they had been doing their own search and not part of the official search. Right. But it also is reported that police were not allowing volunteer help because they didn't want it interfering with their searches. So a lot is made of this that he's not involved in the official search, but... It sounds like police were asking people not to be a part of the official search anyway. Tuesday, May 12th. This one's kind of strange. The husband goes into the Poncha Market in town. He shows up with like a note that has something written on it. And it basically says, baby blue bike helmet. And something like that. I think it has something else on there too, but I couldn't tell what it said. Which the store clerk thought this was very weird that he came in with information about one item that his wife may have been wearing rather than a description of her or a description of her clothing or what she looked like. He was basically saying, can you tell people to keep an eye out for a baby blue bike helmet? My guess would be that that is the only thing that he knew that was missing. That that's it. Like, he knows that her bike helmet's missing. He knows it wasn't with her bike. And that might be why. Maybe. So a press release from the sheriff's department saying that the Colorado Park and Wildfire and the South Arc Swiftwater Rescue Team, they had all been called in. So Reach Air Ambulance flies search and rescue missions. The Colorado Bureau of Investigation sets up a dedicated tip line. There's a lot of press releases, and I didn't include all of them in here because they basically all say the same thing. We're searching for her. Sometimes there's information about where they're searching or what kind of searching they're doing, but most of them are pretty boring. Thursday, May 14, a personal item of Suzanne Morphew's is found. It is her baby blue bike helmet, and it was found while searching along Country Road 225 and U.S. Highway 50. It was west of where her bike had been found. 
Barry kind of starts to say at this point that he thinks she could have been kidnapped and that she would stop and help anyone. Because initially he had been saying that he thought she may have been attacked by a wild animal. And then the police are like, look, that didn't happen. And he kind of starts to introduce also the kidnap idea. Okay, so on Friday, May 15th, 2020, County Sheriff John, John Spees, Speezy, John, John something, I don't know, held his first press conference where they confirmed that they had just found a personal item. They didn't release that it was the baby blue helmet yet. No, the fact that it was the baby blue helmet was actually kept out of the press for a long time because remember, the county sheriff has been very tight-lipped about everything. So... Um, they also answered questions that they do not believe it was suicide. I think this statement was related to people thinking her bike's near a bridge. There's water. There's reservoirs being searched. Like maybe the police think that she is in a body of water. But police are saying we are just looking for clues and evidence. We do not think that she killed herself. Um, they also talked about closing Highway 50 due to the search and where they found the personal item, which we know is the baby blue helmet. So if you go watch this press conference, because I watched it, you guys, if you go watch it, the sheriff actually starts off the conference by saying that Suzanne Morphew disappeared on and then he kind of stops himself and he looks down and back up and he says, she became a missing person on May 10, which I think is just kind of like weird that he chose that verbiage rather than saying she disappeared on that day. But there's a lot of speculation around that. So we're going to come back to that later, too. So then on Sunday, May 17th, Barry made an impassioned plea for his wife's safe return and also offered a $200,000 reward. This would be the first and last time he would speak publicly on his wife's disappearance. Last time? It's May 17th. That's seven days after she goes missing. You're telling me you don't make any other public appearances? you just like seven days after? Nope. Good. Okay, so you can see why people speculate a lot of things in this case. Because Maddie's just hearing about this case for the first time right now. And she's like, wait, what? This is one more thing that sort of leads to speculation in this case. Also, we're going to go ahead and play you his plea because we will have some things to say about it. Oh, Suzanne, if anyone is out there that can hear this, that has you, please, we'll do whatever it takes to bring you back. We love you. We miss you. Your girls need you. No questions asked. However much they want, I will do whatever it takes to get you back. Honey, I love you. I want you back so bad. Okay, so Maddie just saw and heard that video for the first time. And you can find it anywhere on YouTube or the internet basically if you want to actually watch it which you might want to do when we talk about it later but okay so once again we've said this in other episodes i'll say it again everybody deals with grief differently everybody but what was the first thing you said when listening to that video he talks about a ransom in there there is no ransom called for and he does say that he says 
that her daughters need her. He doesn't say anything that I need you. I miss you. Just that they miss you and they need you. Okay, so Maddie's already talking about the red flags that we're going to talk about later. (laughs) But you can see, I mean, her reaction to watching that video is automatically like, wait a second. Something seems something seems off about it. It just doesn't like I said, everybody deals with grief differently. I don't know if you can exactly judge him completely on that, but looking at that to me, it doesn't seem which to be fair, right? We don't know if that was scripted. We don't know who videoed that, who told him to say what. We don't know what yeah. the situation is. It could be that he is so dressed out that he's not even thinking about what he's saying he's just saying it or it could be that it's over scripted and he's so stressed out that he's not even thinking about how he's delivering it but we're gonna go back to that so hold on tight but that was his first and last public appearance i still have formed no opinion on what's going on just yeah okay sunday may 17 there's a press release and it says that dive teams search waterways in the area, they also ask residents to hang on to any video footage that they have from May 8 to May 12. And I'm just going to say right now, that is way too late to be asking the public for video footage. It's the 17th. Right, but you don't know when people's video footage records over or what they might do with their footage. Like what if somebody has video footage of her on her bike? What if somebody has video footage of her being chased or followed or kidnapped but they are asking people to preserve the video they don't want it sent in they don't want to be contacted about it they will contact specific residents as they identify areas that she may have been in so they're not even saying everybody look at your footage and see if you can find her they're just saying preserve your footage for that time i just feel like it would be really smart to ask for the public's help and be like, hey, check your footage. And if you have something. Here's what the smart thing to do would be. If you were in this area, look at your videos. See if you see a girl in a baby blue helmet on a bike. Or like, do you have anybody on this day riding a bike? Call us and let us know and we'll come pick up your footage. Or send in our footage. 2020 mom. No one's picking up footage. Email it. (laughs) Okay. Nobody's picking up footage. They're going to have to pick up your whole iPhone. Uh, So, I will be deleting everything that Maddie just said, but I will tell you right now that we are about halfway through our evidence or our case, and Maddie literally just recited my exact theory almost word for word. Yes. I am a genius when it comes to crime. I know what's going on. Or you're at least as smart as me because I don't even know that I'm right. But you literally just gave almost word for word what my theory is. Okay, but we're going to delete that. But I'm going to go out on a limb here and say maybe some of you are already coming to the same conclusion. Okay, so on May 20th, a press release happened. It was reported that the Morphew House continues to be held by law enforcement. So they have this place sealed off still. The family has not been allowed back into the house and we're 10 days in at this point. So May 22, based on information from a tip that is given, a property that is owned by Barry Morphew is searched. So the property is under construction and 
somebody who neighbors this property called in a tip to say that they had been woken up in the middle of the night on Mother's Day weekend. And I think that the exact night couldn't be identified by this elderly neighbor. But she says that she was woken up by loud noises coming from the property. And she actually thought that maybe they had a tractor or a truck running. She said that it lasted for about a half hour and she was actually kind of annoyed about it. And she got up at one point to go kind of inspect what was going on. And by the time she got to the door, the sound had stopped. So she went back to bed. And to be clear, this construction site is about 15 minutes from the Morphew house. This is not the construction site that Barry was going to hours away. This is nearby. Okay, so on May 26th, the Morphew house is finally released back to the family. That's so long. Okay, and then we have this video that comes out. I, I kind of have mixed feelings about this, you guys, but... There's a video or there's a YouTuber named Tyson. I don't know his last name, but I'll see if I can find the link for it for you guys. But you'll be able to find it pretty easy. He basically runs into Morphew, Barry Morphew, out and about while he's searching. He's somewhere nearby and decides to go into this town and kind of like do a little search himself. And he runs into Barry. He secretly videotapes his interaction with Barry. Even after Barry asks him to walk with his phone in his pocket, because initially he has his phone like in his hand and out and he's kind of like doing stuff. And you can see that he's moving around and he has a drink in one hand. And Barry asks him to put his phone in his pocket. And he tells Barry, oh, it's not even recording. My phone is, it's not even doing anything. I don't know if it's a phone or a camera or what it is, but he basically tells Barry that it's not even on. And then he kind of, the whatever's recording Barry kind of moves to the side and is kind of at a weird upward angle. So he's obviously moved it to a less threatening position so that Barry doesn't think that it's on. And Barry from the beginning has been very worried about his privacy, about his daughter's privacy, about people coming onto their property, about, you know, his kids being scared and stuff like that. Barry kind of talks about his theory about a mountain lion or a hit and run or her getting into an accident and ending up in the river. He's actually very open while talking to Tyson. He answers his questions. They have a conversation. He talks about where he searched. He talks about where the bike was found, what's been happening. He seems pretty open during this conversation. And when Tyson starts talking about other cases where husbands are suspects, he kind of is like, who did you say you were again? Like it kind of like throws him a little bit, I think. And then Tyson kind of changes the topic and he's like, well, what can I do to help? And Barry basically says, get out there and cover some ground. If you're a hiker, if you're fit, get out there, cover some ground. If you find something, take a picture, don't touch it, send it to the police, get it straight to the police. And Barry's mom is also there in the, she's in the truck though. And they kind of have a little interaction with her and they talk to her for a second and then he leaves. Okay, so on July 9th, police returned to the Morphew house with the search warrant. This would be the second time that they actually searched the family's house. Yeah, and I'm assuming this just comes from a tip of some kind, or they're looking for something specific that maybe they missed the first time around, or who, I mean, who knows? I couldn't actually find anything that identified what they were searching for. Okay, that makes sense. I'm thinking maybe 
Maybe they have a new theory or thinking that evidence would get brought back into the house or something like that. I wonder if it happened after this tip. So we have a tip that came in, and I'm not sure if it was before or after July 9 because there was no date on it. So there was really no way to identify when exactly this tip came in. But here it is. A man named Jeffrey Puckett came forward. He was a contractor that Barry had hired. This was the first job he had ever done for Barry, although they had worked in circles together on previous projects, but this was the first time he had been hired specifically by Barry. Okay, so first job that he's had for Barry. Yeah, but not the first time he's worked with Barry. So they're not strangers, but they're not exactly friends either. He said that Barry had asked him on Saturday to help with the job the following day, which is Mother's Day. He said that he called Barry to verify that he still needed his help. And he says that Barry told him to go to Colorado. But when he got to the hotel that day, so on Mother's Day, Barry had already left because of his family emergency, which is all that Jeffrey knew at the time. He didn't know that his wife was missing. So this was the Holiday Inn in Denver, and Barry had gotten him a room there. He went to the hotel room around 6 p.m., and... It was not exactly clean. So there were damp towels on the ground. The room had a very strong smell of chlorine. But it did not appear as if whoever had been in the room had stayed the night. The bed was made, but looked like maybe somebody had just laid down on it to rest for a second. He also found mail in the trash that was addressed to Barry that he turned over to the police. It was something to do with property insurance. Security footage from the hotel was also turned over to the police. So let me get this straight. So Barry got a room for Jeffrey, but then went and stayed in the room? Well, we're pretty sure he didn't spend the night in the room because remember, he's at home on Saturday. So he allegedly left at 5 a.m. on Sunday to go down to Colorado. So it would mean that he spent just some time in the room. So the really bad smell of chlorine, I don't like that. Also, the hotel did verify that they do not use chlorine to clean their rooms in any way, shape, or form. Most hotels don't. I feel like that's not normal cleaning product you'd use as a, at a hotel. No, that would make it too clean. <laughs> I hate hotels. Okay. So basically, the job that he was hired for was fixing some kind of retaining wall that Barry's guys had messed up the year before. Jerry, act J Jerry, no, I just did it. <laughs> Madison said Barry and Jerry earlier when we were reading this, and now I just copied her. Okay, Jeffrey actually got really annoyed. He was unable to do any work, and he left on Tuesday afternoon when he didn't hear from Barry. Now, to be fair, I will give you the rebuttal from Barry on the situation. So Barry told KXRM journalist Lauren Shard that Puckett was in prison for nine years, but he did confirm that he had hired him to do the job in Broomsfield. He said that he was giving him an opportunity. He also said that it wasn't a last minute job and that it had been in the works for months. But he had nothing to say about whether or not he had spent time in the room. 
And in case anybody's wondering, bleach does not actually break down DNA. So it's not the best tool for cleaning up anything like that. FYI. Oxidized bleaches. We are not experts. This is not CSI. Do not judge us if our knowledge is incorrect. All right. So on August 10th, Susan's family speaks to Fox News. They're worried that Barry hasn't told investigators everything he knows. Right. And this is a family member that wanted to remain anonymous. So we don't know who actually had this conversation with Fox News. Okay, so they also claimed that Barry refused two polygraphs and a critical analysis test. Yeah, so critical analysis test is basically a test that monitors the fluctuation in your voice and different things. So basically, it detects and measures your voice frequency. It also displays a picture of your voice pattern. So it's basically supposed to, it's another way to determine whether or not you are being truthful or are stressed about something specific. So it's just another tool. Also, probably not admissible in court. No, I would assume not because polygraphs aren't either. But it is kind of strange that he uh, denied them. So they also said that evidence taken from Barry's truck didn't match what he told investigators. Don't know what that means. I believe that it has something to do with the mileage that he drove or something to do with that. So something doesn't match up with what his timeline said. So on August 20th, Suzanne's family speaks out, including her dad, who is sick and battling cancer. Oh, that's so sad. He thanks the public for keeping his daughter in their thoughts and prayers. So then, also in August, following this conversation that news outlets have had with Barry's family, he finally breaks his silence and talks to Fox News, which is kind of a big deal because he hasn't really been talking to the press at all. No, because there's only been one time when he made that one, the video that we all watched. Yeah, and the video wasn't having a conversation or answering questions. It was just him controlling what he wanted to say to the public. Mm -hmm. So basically, during this conversation, which, by the way, during this conversation, he did not want it recorded. One of his stipulations was that no recording be played of him. So I don't know if they didn't record the conversation at all or if they just weren't allowed to play it. So that is one of the stipulations. But in this interview, he theorizes about it possibly being an animal attack, which I thought we had gotten past, but apparently not, an accident or even a run-in with somebody that she knew. He said, my wife and I have been in love since 1988, and she's the love of my life. And I continue to search for her every day, and I will until I find her. I promise, and I promise my girls that. Barry also talked about the unfair coverage of his wife's disappearance and painting him in a bad light, and that is why he has remained silent. In response to the polygraph, he said that he was never asked to take one. He also said that he is hiding nothing and has given three 30-hour interview testimonies to the FBI and the CBI, which is Colorado Bureau of Investigations. I think everybody knows what FBI stands for, but... He says that he has answered every one of their questions. He also said that the sheriff's department 
has screwed up several times on the investigation, citing how they handled evidence at the scene where her bike was found. That seemed to be what he had the biggest problem with. And he basically said that they were traipsing all over the scene before collecting any evidence. And I guess one of his friends was actually on the scene shortly after the bike was found. And police had told him that there's no evidence to be collected. It's just a bike or something along those lines. So on September 1st, Barry is granted guardianship of Susan in court. Yeah. And basically that means that he assumes the role of decision maker for an adult who is incapable and can't make decisions for themselves because she's not there to make decisions for herself. They own a lot of property together. They have a lot of different things going on. And even as her husband, there are certain things that he can't speak for her on without having this guardianship. Mm -hmm. So this is kind of a big deal. Between September 24th and September 29th, Andy, Susan's brother, organized a search party with hundreds of volunteers, like over 700 volunteers. That is a lot of people. And I think part of this was like a big push to try to get more people talking about her case and get more people remembering that she's still out there and that she's still missing. Yeah. And they would search for six days. He did coordinate with law enforcement and they would be standing by to assist if needed. So Andy said, I don't think she ever got on her bike. I think she probably died on May 9th and she was hidden somewhere that night. I'm afraid this is domestic abuse. Which to me, that's very pointed. I mean, he doesn't specifically say, I think Barry killed her and did something with her, even though he's kind of saying that. Yeah, he is definitely saying that. And Barry actually told Fox News that if he was contacted to help with the search, then he would help. But he said that nobody had contacted him and that Andy was only doing this for a publicity stunt. This statement comes from people being like, why isn't Barry involved in the search? Why isn't he helping Suzanne's brother try to bring her home? He says that nobody asked him to help and that he felt like Andy was only doing it as a publicity stunt, basically. On September 27, 2020, Andy, Andrew, did an interview with Dr. Phil. He talked about how he organized a huge search party with hundreds of volunteers. They used ArcGIS, which if I'm looking it up right, it basically shows the entire track of every searcher and notes anything that they find. So basically, this is the 2020 version of throwing confetti on the ground while searching like we had in our that we had in one of our cases where as they searched, they would throw confetti on the ground to make sure that they weren't double searching anywhere. No, Glastonbury Mountain. It was the Glastonbury Mountain case. The curse of Glastonbury Mountain. Right? Maddie doesn't remember. I don't know. I don't know why I ask her. I should just like say it and then you guys can tell me if that's right or wrong. Because I don't know what it is, but the podcast I've listened to, I could tell you what happened. Our cases, they mash together in one giant ball of just lost in the woods all up in my head and I don't know. How to dif- differentiate. <laughs> differentiate. 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 There you go. And I don't know how to differentiate. <laughs> differentiate. And I don't know how to di- differentiate. 
Pick a different word, Madison. And I just can't tell them apart in my brain. They just mash together. A lot of words, but these ones I can't pronounce. Why are they being used? You picked that word. I didn't pick that word. You were telling your own story. That was not in the script. Don't blame it on me. Okay. It was also reported that during this search, this is, Barry was, not only did he not participate, but he was in his backyard setting up cam, like trail cams, with a rifle on his back at the time. What? So what I'm assuming is that since this happened, he's probably had a lot of people coming onto his property that he doesn't know searching around, looking for stuff. Remember, they're on a big piece of property. So he was setting up trail cams, probably because he's had people trespassing, and he was doing it with the rifle slung over his back on the day that they were searching. (laughs) Okay, so Andrew's search team was equipped with two sets of cadaver search dogs. They would hit in three areas. Hit one was on a riverfront, and it was a passive hit meaning there was reasonable suspicion but not probable cause to continue searching or digging or anything like that. So dogs have different levels of hits, and depending on that level will depend on whether or not searchers go further. The scene was turned over to law enforcement and was determined to be unfounded and no excavation occurred. Hit number two was along a roadside and to me on the map it looks like near where the bike was found but I'm not 100% sure about that so don't quote me. I did find a map that showed where the hit was but I couldn't tell it there were, it wasn't labeled of what streets it was but it looks like the same area where the bike or maybe the helmet was found. So this area had multiple solid indications and they were made by two separate cadaver dogs. Law enforcement took over the scene. The site was ruled unfounded and no excavation occurred. Why? Two dogs and solid indicator? Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure why they chose not to excavate in this area. Who knows what what made them determine it as unfounded, but it was determined as unfounded. Hit number three was on property owned by Barry Morphew in the Longhorn subdivision. The site also had two separate indicators. Law enforcement took over the site. The site is excavated the next day, but no remains were discovered. And Andrew also states that he is sure his sister was murdered. And I think you can guess who he thinks his sister was murdered by. So on November 10th, a press release asking anybody that communicated on social media with Susan leading up to her disappearance to come forward. The task force continues to focus on Susan's social media, according to the police. Yeah, I'm wondering if this has anything to do with all of those friend requests that went out around midnight on her phone. And police are wondering if there was any further communication with anyone else during that time frame when she may or may not have been using her phone. This is sad. On November 11, 2020, Jean Mormon... Susan's dad dies. He died after a seven-month struggle with cancer, and he died one day before the six-month anniversary of his daughter's disappearance. In the obituary, the family asks for any donations to be made to 
the local domestic violence organization called Pete's Pantry. So on November 27th, a tree lighting ceremony was held in Salida for Susan in hopes that people don't forget her. By the way, if you guys are catching that, November 27. So today for us, it's November 28. So yesterday. So basically this happened yesterday on the day after Thanksgiving. Yes. So by the time you guys will be hearing this, this happened like a few days ago. Which is so crazy recent. I can't even handle it. Since May, 180 formal interviews have been done and over 4,000 hours have been spent on this case. We are going to quickly run through some theories that have been suggested in this case. And then when we're done with that, we'll kind of cover the things that were red flags for us. And then we can decide what our ultimate theory is. At least a little bit. We'll give you guys a little bit of what we think. All right. There is. Here we go. First theory is an animal attack. It did rain that day, so evidence could have been washed away. But in most animal attacks, the body or a lot of evidence is found nearby. And they'll usually drag the person a little ways and then, like, work on eating them or eh, whatever. Don't like it, but... So then we have a hit and run. So because of the damage on her bike, some people think that maybe she was hit by somebody and they took off. But if that's the case, where's the body and why hasn't it been found unless that person loaded her up and took her somewhere else, which I don't know why you would do that. If you're going to hit and run, why would you take the time to do that? Uh, Sounds more like a kidnapping to me. And then we have abducted. So could she have been kidnapped? And then the killer or even Suzanne threw the helmet out the window on their way out, right? So they snatch her up. She still has the helmet on, though. And then either they or she throws the helmet out to the car as they head west away from the bike, which is where the helmet was found. Maybe? I don't know. Okay, next theory is her just walking away, her just leaving. Why would she leave her bike that way? And why did she ditch her helmet in a completely different place? And also, this does not seem like a plausible theory to anyone. She's never touched any of her money. She's never, her phone's never been used again. Nothing has ever suggested that she would walk away from her life or her children. So I do not see that as a viable theory, personally. As far as foul play goes, there are... Other cases of people going missing, some people have made a possible connection to a separate case where three sets of human remains were found. This was about an hour from Mayville, where Suzanne went missing. The human remains were found in two separate properties in San Luis Valley. All three bodies were too badly decomposed to even tell if they were male or female, and they have not yet been identified. So the suspect in that case is Andre Barron, who is 26, and he's also called Psycho. That's his nickname. Super creative, guys. They have not said how he is connected to these bodies, but they did verify that he was on the run, and he was then caught in New Mexico. He does have a criminal history, including assault on a peace officer and attempted escape and theft. CBI have said that they don't believe there is any association with this case and the case of missing mother, Suzanne Morphew. But they do admit that all possibilities are being 
considered. And I think the reason that this case caught people's attention is because we have unidentified remains. Yeah. Well, and they're close by to where Suzanne went missing, right? They are just over an hour away. Okay, so now we're kind of going to go and revisit our red flags a little bit. So a big red flag to me was when her conversation with her friend abruptly stops at 9 p.m. One, because this is really out of character. And two, because it's strange that, that all of a sudden her communication ends on Saturday night, which happens to be the night before she goes missing. Okay, and then... The next red flag would be at midnight, her Facebook profile friended a bunch of men, which her family and friends say that this is very, very out of character for her. Well, not only is this out of character for her, but it's a really strange thing for anyone to do. If it's her, it's very strange. If it's somebody with her phone, it's even stranger. I don't really understand what the purpose of this would be unless... Somebody was trying to make it look like she was still using her phone at midnight and were just trying to log activity, not really thinking about what kind of activity they were doing. So remember how Barry said that he left around 5 a.m. and didn't wake Suzanne up, right? But he was texting other people while on the road at 4 a.m. Which this could be a very innocent mistake on his time frame like maybe he left at 4 a.m and not 5 a.m maybe he was texting people that he was on the road even though he hadn't left yet because he was running behind I mean we really don't know I'm not sure if it's a huge red flag but it's a little bit of a red flag Uh no for sure a little bit at least our next red flag is the panic so for me the daughters can't get a hold of her just this one day they're unable to get a hold of her. They contact their dad who contacts the neighbor who immediately searches for her and then calls 911. I, I'm wondering why everybody's panicking so quickly because if she is an avid bike rider, like I'm an avid hiker, if I don't respond to my family for six hours, sometimes that's not a big deal because I'm out of reception and reception is really bad in this area. Well, maybe... Maybe it really wasn't like her to not respond. Yeah, I mean, that's my only guess, too, is that it's just so out of character that it immediately panics her family. So then the next red flag is the husband mentioning that she may have gone for a bike ride, indicating that she should go check for the bike. And the only reason I entered this as a red flag is because it starts a narrative. It starts a theory to what happened to Suzanne Morphew, and this theory is instigated by her husband. However, I don't think it's that strange for him to be like, well, could she have gone on a bike ride if her car's there, but she's not answering the door? Maybe check and see if her bike is there. Do you see what I mean? Like, it can be really, really innocent, or it can be really, really not. No, I know exactly what you mean. The next issue that I have is why has it not been verified if she was on her bike or not? So police have not confirmed whether or not they found any footage that showed Suzanne Morphew on her bike that day. And based on what I have heard, she should be on some sort of footage that day if she was on her bike. Yeah, that's kind of strange that there's no footage of her at all. 
So the fact that they have not confirmed that she was on her bike or released what she was wearing that day, that tells me that they have found no footage of Suzanne Morphew on her bike that day. The next thing is that the scent dogs were unable to pick up her scent. And let's talk about that for a minute. So if these scent dogs are unable to pick up her scent from the house going anywhere, that to me says that she did not leave the house on her bike that day. But that's just my personal opinion. I mean, scent dogs are not 100%. But in most cases, scent dogs are able to at least track somebody to a road or track somebody to something. Like, I feel like the dogs would have been able to track her from her house. If she left on her bike for sure, there should have been scent picked up. Okay, next red flag is that reports say that police did impound Barry's car and cell phone. Although the police actually never confirmed this. So I don't know how strange that is. If the police are trying to rule the husband out, why wouldn't they impound his truck and his phone to make sure that there's nothing incriminating there? Mm -hmm. So the next one is that he showed up at that market with a note that read baby blue bike helmet. Like him just looking for the baby blue bike helmet. Right. And so for me, this adds to the narrative that he has created around she was on a bike ride and not only that but police haven't found her baby blue helmet yet and maybe if he is guilty he knows it's out there and wants people to be looking for it so that they find this evidence or he's turning that in because it's the most identifiable piece of clothing or item that he knows isn't at the house and she might have had on her it could literally be either of those. The, either of those could be an option. Okay, so next red flag. The sheriff saying that Susan Morphy disappeared on and stopping himself and correcting himself that she became a missing person on May 10th. Right, so it almost seems like he's going to say Suzanne Morphew disappeared on May 10th. But the fact that he corrects himself makes me think that maybe police aren't sure that that's the day that she disappeared. Or at least that there's a possibility that that's what happened, right? The next one is the video. And you guys, I recommend that you go and you watch this video. So we played the video for you, so you got to hear it. But if you haven't seen it, there's a couple things in the video that I find very strange. The first one is that he is shaking his head no almost the entire time, which could be a tick that Barry happens to possess. I don't really know. When I saw the video of him talking to the reporter, and granted, it's not straight on. It's a totally different situation. But when I saw the video of him talking to the reporter, I did not see him doing any kind of like constant head motions during that. So I'm not sure if it's a tick of his or not. But he is literally like, Suzanne, we want you to be found or whatever he says. But the whole time he's moving his head back and forth like he's saying no. So that is something that is kind of strange about the video. Another thing is there's no movement of his eyebrows. And I know that sounds weird, but if you think about it, when somebody is animated about something or they care about something, they tend to move their eyebrows when they're talking. So think about that when you're watching the video, like he doesn't really do that, which makes me think, one, the video is scripted, which 
is even sadder because whoever scripted it didn't do a very good job. Or two, he's maybe he's just numb because of everything that's going on and is incapable of expressing anything really at all. Yeah. And then in the video, he says that he will pay any amount to get her back. But there has been no ransom. So why is he so quick to throw up money? So I think it's really weird that he's it's almost like he's directing the narrative again. Like she went on this bike ride and now I think she's been kidnapped and I will pay any ransom amount to get her back. Next red flag is the police asking people to preserve the videos, not to send them in, not to look for her on the videos, just to save the videos from that day. And my theory behind this is that they don't want people looking at their video to see if Suzanne is in them because they don't think Suzanne is in the videos, but they want the footage preserved so that they can maybe watch other things in the video, like the movements of possible people or cars. Mm -hmm. So the next red flag is when he runs into the YouTuber Tyson and is talking to him. Which, by the way, how do you feel about that, you guys? Because I initially had like some really icky issues with him secretly recording Barry. But then if he's guilty, I don't have issues with it. So I'm not sure how I feel about it. Yeah, no. So he uses weird words like we, us, they. Who is he talking about? Why is he talking in like, why is he plurally referring to himself? Well, so that tends to be a sign of somebody trying to make themselves sound like a part of everything. Like, oh, we, like he's grouping himself in with the police. He's grouping himself in with searchers. He's grouping himself in with everybody. Like, He's a part of everything that's going on. And then he's also pushing the blame away from him. Like, they messed up the crime scene. They have messed up things in the investigation. Things like that. So it's really it's really strange the way that he interacts on that video as well. Okay, so another thing that was kind of a red flag to me was this job that was set up. It doesn't sound like it was really prepared. There was no equipment ready. There was no dirt ready. There was nothing ready for this job to go. And maybe he had planned on doing that but hadn't got around to it because his wife went missing. Maybe he got into town and showered first at the hotel and then was going to go do something and then decided to head back when his daughter... So he's there for a long time, but yet this job site is not ready to go. So I'm not sure what's going on and he also said that it wasn't a last minute job it had been planned up for months so why wouldn't you have it ready right like at least the equipment that you needed or things like that and then also what is barry doing in jeff's hotel room i think that's so weird that because his mail is there so he was in that hotel room we don't know that he was cleaning up or taking a shower or what he was doing but he was in the hotel room so i would be curious to know what he was doing there so another red flag Barry refusing the polygraph and critical analysis test. And we do not have any confirmation on if he was actually asked to do either of these tests because he says that he wasn't. He said that he never denied to take any test or lie detector test or critical analysis test. He is saying that that's not true. But if that's true, like I'm confused why police haven't verified that fact 
one way or the other. And also, next red flag is the evidence from Barry's truck didn't match up. Red flag right there. And again, we don't know what that evidence is. Here's here's my issue. If Barry is innocent, the police are making it really hard for the public to believe him because they're not confirming or denying anything. anything. So if he's guilty, I feel really bad. Or if, if he's guilty, if he's innocent, I feel really bad for him because the police are making it harder for the public to be on his side. But I'm not sure that that's the case. Okay, so... I have two theories, and I'm I'm trying to be fair to Barry in this case. I'm trying to be fair to everybody and not jump on the blame wagon either way, at least until we get to bunker talk. But I think either there's really only two options for me. Barry killed her or she was kidnapped off that road. One of the two. No in between. So... There is an FBI tip line on this case because, you guys, this is just happening. Like, we're not even a year a year into this one. The FBI tip line is 719-312-7530. If you know anything, because there are people that still believe somebody is not giving information because they're worried about getting people in trouble— Let the police figure that out. Let the police eliminate them as a suspect. Nobody needs to worry about that except the police. So if you know something, come forward and tell somebody. Like, I feel like this is so recent. Somebody should be able to find this woman, right? Yeah, this is so recent. So recent. How has no one seen anything? And also, I had never heard of this case before no, Before our listener recommended it. No, I'd also not heard about this case at all. Also, I will say there's a YouTube channel, and it's called Profiling Evil. And they do a really good job covering this story. They do interviews with family. They break down and analyze a bunch of things. Their channel is actually kind of cool. So go and check out their channel if you want more information on this case. I think they have something like six episodes posted just on this case. So go and check them out. Um, Other than that, there's not a lot of additional sources or information that I could find on this case, I think because it is so recent. But Profiling Evil, they've helped Andy raise money for searching. They've done a lot of work towards helping the family on this case. That's our case on Suzanne Morphew. Yeah, and let us know what you think about this really recent case. It's kind of crazy how recent it is. I think it's the most recent one we've done, but I think our next one is like, we're going way back in time again. So you get, we're, we're just gonna drag you back and forth through time. Yep. So follow us on our social media if you don't already. On Instagram at Lost in the Woods Podcast, Facebook, same thing. Go listen to our bunker talk on this afterwards on our Patreon. Yeah, that's going to be interesting. But yeah, check out our bunker talk. Check out our Patreon if you haven't already. We have our new episode coming out as well on Patreon. So come and check it out. Yeah, thanks for listening. Uh, Post us on your stories. We'll post you back, you know. Join our Patreon. Get a free sticker exciting things thanks for listening guys yeah thanks bye guys
remember, it's just take a deep breath. It's going to be fine. Just remember that you can blame this being laid on me. I will take the downfall for everything that goes wrong in this podcast. It's all my fault. Everything. I will take the downfall. So if you're going to get mad at us for something, don't get mad at us. Get mad at me. That's fine. Say hateful things about me. Not the whole podcast in general, just me. Maddie's taking responsibility because she doesn't do anything else for the podcast. And so when I'm like freaking out and I'm like, Madison, we have nothing done for the podcast this week. And Maddie's like, it's fine. It's fine, mom. Everything's fine. And I'm like, I am going to murder you. And I just have to give her a look. And then she's like, okay, what do you want me to do? Or what do you want me to take responsibility for? It's all my fault when things go wrong here. My 14-year-old, her teacher, I had to listen to her lecture the entire class for five minutes at the beginning of class because people didn't have their cameras on. And what did she keep saying? It's required. Everybody needs to turn their cameras on. What did everybody not do? Probably turn their camera on. Exactly. And I'm like, Cadence, turn your camera on. And she's like, Mom, I never turn my camera on. And I'm like, your teacher just asked you for five minutes to turn your camera on. And she's like, oh, she's probably not talking to me. She's, you are the one she's fucking talking to. It's you. You are a problem child. Like, what? You're actually the only one she's talking to. Anyway, so. Can you. <laughs> she just yelled at me for no reason. Can you guess how many rings I have on by this noise? Well, hopefully that can't be heard. So I yelled at Maddie because she was like tapping on the microphone with her rings. And I'm like, stop. That's going to be so loud in my ear when I'm editing. And she's like, mom, we're not even recording yet. <laughs> she scolded me. And you know what? She scolded me the other day for not doing anything wrong. So it's so listen here. Let me paint you a picture. So it's really late at night, but you know, it's whatever. I stay up late when I don't work and stuff like that. So it was like probably like 1 a.m. or something. And I was out getting water. Well, so I hear these noises coming from downstairs, which is basically a door slamming. So I go out into the kitchen and I'm like, what in the actual F are you doing? But wait, this is how it actually, I was in the kitchen getting water. Someone slammed a door downstairs. So I was framed for being loud because it wasn't me. So she's basically like standing in the kitchen frozen in fear, in fear because she knows I'm coming. <laughs> Because I hear the bedroom door open, and when we all hear that bedroom door open, everybody freezes. I was just standing there. I was like, shit, I have to explain myself it wasn't me. And then she stands there, and she goes, what the hell are you doing? Why aren't you in bed? And points to the downstairs. By the way, my bedroom is not downstairs. Well, and she's like, I'm getting water. And I'm like, are you telling me you can't get water downstairs? She's like, do you have why don't you have a water cup downstairs? I was like, mom, why would I have a water cup downstairs? Why would I be getting water downstairs? Well, and then, by the way, if you don't know this about me, I wear contacts. So I am very, very blind at night after I take them out. So she's like yelling at me and she's like pointing downstairs, telling me I should be in bed. And I'm like, mom, what the hell are you talking about? And then I realized, that it's not Cordelia who is who I think I'm yelling at. And I step forward and I'm squinting at her and I'm like, I'm like, oh shit, is that Maddie? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, who did you think I was? And like, I'm talking like the old lady lean forward and squint type of thing. Like, it was so funny. And I'm like, she goes, oh, 
And I was like, that was someone downstairs slamming the door. And she's like, oh. And then starts laughing and goes downstairs. I'm like, shit. But to be fair, it was like one o'clock in the morning and I am not young. I cannot stay up all night like they can. And they need to effing be quiet, especially on a school night. Yeah, because my sisters have school. So obviously, if you're 11 years old, you shouldn't be up at one in the morning. So that's why she was scolding me. But it wasn't. She was scolding Cordy, but it wasn't Cordy. It was me. And I was so confused at first. And then I realized I was like, she doesn't she doesn't think it's me. I was like, she thinks I was somebody else. Sometimes we just say things to each other when the other one's talking just so like what we have to say is in the podcast, even though it doesn't necessarily come out of my mouth or my mom's mouth. She'll like interrupt me to say something to make sure that I add it in because she knows I have to start over if she interrupts me. <laughs> but I feel like it's in- well, I feel like it's important. It needs to be added in and I don't know if you're going to say it. So I feel like it needs to be said then when it comes into my brain here's an idea wait till i finish see if i say it and if i don't add it in yourself no no, no, because here's the thing here's the thing here's the thing here is the thing i will not remember after you're done talking because something else will come into my brain for me to say this is literally why she does it okay poppy seeds taste weird like if you individually like get one and you like I know exactly what you mean. I was thinking about that yesterday where I had like a poppy seed in my teeth after eating a muffin. And then when I finally got it out and I like crunched it like in my teeth, I was like, oh, that tastes weird. Like it tastes like chemicals. Like no wonder it shows up as like heroin when you take a drug test. I thought that was a myth. No. I think it's real. I don't think that's a myth. So we're recording the second half of our episode right now because Maddie can't sit still usually for an entire episode. And so if you're wondering why the voice has just <laughs> flu- your, the voice level has just fluctuated to an entirely different level because I never talk the same. Never. And we've talked about that before. Like my voice never, ever changes. It's pretty much the same all the time, except for one time. My voice was a little raspy, and I think it was from yelling at your sisters the day before. (laughs) But, like, my voice literally fluctuates depending on how I feel. Like, if I'm, like, tired, hungover, like, it all, it's all different. But Maddie just brought coffee and muffins. She was only an hour late for recording today, so, I mean, hey. Well, I woke up at the right time, was going to leave. Laid back and down. Wait, wait. She sent me a message saying, I'm going to be a few minutes late because I'm going to stop and get coffee. And that was at like 930 and we're supposed to record at 10. And I'm like, okay, I'll go work out. I work out. I get done with my cardio. I do my abs. I do my stretching. And I'm like, that's weird. Maddie's not here yet. I'll do some more cardio. And then she's still not here. And I'm like, God damn it. She fell back asleep. Which I did. I grabbed my friend's cat and laid back down in bed and (laughs) fell asleep again. So yeah. Oh, the story yeah what's the story about the cat maddie was said something and i told her say it again without the wrapper of your muffin thing moving so she stopped moving the muffin thing and then shoved a giant bite of muffin into her mouth and i'm like well now how are you gonna say it i'm not i'm not gonna say it but tell me the story about the cat okay i almost didn't tell you this story but in the middle of the night, last night, and I remember, I'm a very light sleeper. So in the middle of the night last night, I keep hearing this noise that I can't identify. It's not a normal noise. It's not a noise that my children make. It's not 
the fridge making ice. It's not any kind of normal noise. It's not even the noise of Phoenix's books falling off her bed because she usually reads like 20 books before she goes to bed. There's just like this weird noise. Okay, go on. Do you want to guess what the noise was? The cat? It was the cat, but it gets so much worse than that. So I get up to investigate because we did just get a Christmas tree and I'm like, maybe there's a fucking squirrel living in our Christmas tree or something. So I'm looking around. I look outside. There's nothing weird. I don't hear the noise anymore. I'm like, what the heck? I do open Phoenix's door to make sure she hasn't been kidnapped because that's what I always jump to is the noise was probably one of my children being kidnapped. And if I don't check and make sure that all of them are in their beds breathing, then I won't be able to go back to sleep. As I lay back in bed, I hear the cat. Her paws hit the ground, like the sound she makes when she's jumping off of a bed. Delilah is little. She's a very little cat, but she's like the beefiest little cat that I've ever seen. Like she's lengthy and just like she has like meaty arms. So when she jumps off of things, she makes a very loud noise when she hits the ground. Right. And usually when I get up in the morning early and start making coffee, I will hear her jump off of Maddie's bed and then start meowing at the door because she wants to come out and hang out with me, right? So I hear her jump down and I'm like, oh, she's, okay, she just must have been making some weird noise on Maddie's bed or something. And so I had opened Phoenix's bedroom door a crack so that the cat could go in and sleep with Phoenix since Maddie wasn't here last night. So I'm like, oh, she'll probably just go crawl in bed with Maddie now, right? No big deal. So I go back to bed. Then this morning when I come out, Delilah's nowhere, nowhere to be found. Can't find her anywhere. And I'm like, that's so weird. I wonder where she is. And then there's a little paw coming out from underneath the hall closet door. You locked my cat in the hall closet all night? Yes, apparently I did. So I am super psychotic about doors being closed. And all of my children leave the hall closet that has our coats in it. And then we have a hall closet that has like our towels and all of our cleaning supplies and all of that in it. And they leave both of them ajar all the time. And the cat likes to play in the hall closet that has all the supplies because it has like the toilet paper wrappers in there and she likes to climb inside them. She loves to climb inside of bags, like grocery bags. Like if we bring groceries home, she's instantly on the counter in a grocery bag. With her head sticking out of the handle. <laughs> yeah, every time. I don't know why she does it. But like she's small enough that she can fit through her whole body through the handle. So, of course, before I closed the that closet, the one that has the paper towels and toilet paper in it, before I closed it, I checked for her last night and she wasn't in there. But it was the jacket hall closet that she was actually in. She must have been sleeping. There's like the, you know, the carpeted bench bench in there. So she must have been sleeping on the carpeted bench. And that's why I didn't see her when I closed the door. Because she would have been super noticeable if she'd been on the ground. But you dropped her in there all night long. All night long. She was so distraught this morning. I felt so bad. I literally sat on the couch with her for like two hours trying to make it up to her. She's never going to forgive you. Cats can't forgive. Stop chewing into the microphone, I swear. So Maddie does this thing, you guys. I'm literally going to kill her. She does this thing where when I'm not paying attention or if I'm distracted, she will 
effing chew her food into the microphone or she will like scratch it or like tap it or like do weird like clicky things into it. So when I'm editing, all of a sudden I have like this chomping sound in my ear and I cannot handle it. So I just caught her doing it because she like she wears her AirPods when she edits. So my chewing is right in her ear. So disgusting. By the, it's funny. by the way, I was listening on my AirPods at the gym the other day, and there's this one commercial that comes on, and it's like ice and water, like clicking and pouring or something, but it only comes out of one of my mm-hmm. headphones. And so it gets me every time. Every time I hear it, I like turn like really fast, like there's somebody behind me, and I look like a freaking psychopath. One of the songs that I listen to has, like, police sirens in the background of it. Like, very faintly. But they only come from one side. They only come from the right side. So even when I'm listening to it in my car, I literally have look in my rearview mirror every time because I think there's a cop car behind me. By the way, I thought I was getting pulled over yesterday. But it was actually the car behind me that was getting pulled over. But I, like, pulled all the way over and, like, stopped my car. And then I'm like... Oh shit, it's not for me. <laughs> I'm getting out of here. Yeah. But I actually do think that maybe the cop was trying to pull me over and the car behind instead of getting out of the way, like just tucked in right behind me. And the cop was like, well, I guess I'll pull this car over instead. That's so funny. We were all speeding. So, I mean, he really could have gotten any of us. Well, the thing is, is that it's a construction zone. So it's 25 near where we live. But there's no construction going on like 90% of the time you drive through there. Well, and not only that, but I am physically incapable of going 25 miles per hour apparently because most of the time when I get pulled over, it's in a 25 mile per hour zone or the freeway. Those are the two places I speed the most. 30 miles per hour? Golden. I can stay right under 40 and not get pulled over. (laughs) Yeah, but... It's a useless 25. There's a 25, but it's like, com- first off, it's completely straight road. Mm-hmm. Second, there's like never construction actually going on. I'm not sure what they do. By the way, I love when people respond to our Instagram story while we're recording. Because <laughs> I posted us recording with like our muffins and our coffee. Mm-hmm. And I love when our listeners like actually respond to us while we're still recording. Responding to it. Yeah, Jessica Kasperian responded to it. Isn't that so fun, though? I love that. Okay. Suzanne Morphew was 49 years old. Is. Shit. Suzanne Morphew is. Oh, shit. You think she's dead, don't you? I do, yeah. So. We're going to talk. We're going to. I know. I know. My theory right now is that the husband killed her. With the information I have now, husband killed her. Um, It's going to bury her in the work site. And. Or already buried her in the work site, I think. And I also think that he planted the bike. He did it. He killed her the night before, took her to the work site with him, texted her just to give himself kind of an alibi, being like, oh, I didn't wake her up. I sent her a message this morning. See? 